coming at you with the Wizards after dark, after a win. The Wizards came home and they won a game. That tends to be the thing. They're okay at home and they can't win games on the road. They beat the Nets. 102 to 88, second night of a back-to-back for the Wizards. Second night of a back-to-back for the Nets. And it looked like it. a little bit of a sloggy game, a little bit of a sloppy game. But the Wizards, for the most part, played pretty well. They controlled the pace. They controlled a pretty nice lead for the majority of the game. John Wall... 30 points, 9 assists, 5 boards, 12-24 from the field, 3 for 6 from 3. He was good tonight. Beal had 22. Markeith Morris had 15 in the fourth quarter, 20 off the bench. Really, really controlled the scoring in the fourth quarter, 9 for 12. Looked like he was scoring on every play. Scott Brooks shook up the starting lineup, started Thomas Sadoransky instead of uh, Kelly Oubre. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I'm here with... Ben Standing from NBC Sports Washington, and uh, what, what's your what's your first first observation from this one? Uh, well, first of all, thank you as always for having me. Uh, my first observation is that you know it's a rare time this year where the Wizards have felt they were quote unquote in control from start to finish. And while I wouldn't say this was like a completely clean performance because they rarely are with this team this year, this felt about as in control of a performance. As they've had, and while we can point to things like, say, Brooklyn playing in a double overtime game last night, that tends to be how most of their wins lately have come with some kind of caveat like that. But at the same point, the Washington asterisks, (laughs) exactly. But at least you could say, look, the Wizards also played a game the night before, and uh, you know who knows? I mean, after the way they've been going, but every game they get down by a crap ton of points right off the bat. Who knew what was knew, knew what was gonna happen? They at least came out. They didn't get down the ton quickly. They actually had a twelve point lead in the first half and kind of kept it going. So at least from that perspective, this is low bar territory. At least from that perspective, they came out and competed, and they have to do more of that. I, I'm surprised that's where you went. Oh. I was I was giving you the floor for what Sadaransky? to bring up Sadaransky in your own. So here's 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 to me the the biggest moment of the night. It's not the win. It came in this room that we're in right now, the press conference room, in Capital One Arena. Mm-hmm. I always want to say center because I'm used to Verizon Center. Sure. Capital One Arena. After the game, I forget who asked the question. Maybe I asked the question about starting Sadoransky over uh, over Ubre because we were kind of all taken aback by that. You know, for every day. We asked Scott Brooks, so starters? And after a while, it gets a little grating. He kind of looks at you and he smiles before the game. And he's like, yeah, same thing, same starters. He kind of smiles. Yeah, same starters. Next day, same starters. Today, nobody asked about the starters because it gets grating and annoying for everybody. And then he changes the starters on us. They hand out the starter sheets. We see Sadoransky starting instead of Ubre. And he said that what he liked about Sadoransky, you have the quote, you knew exactly what I was referencing. So on why Thomas Sadoransky was put in the starting lineup tonight. Our record's not good. That's one. Other than that, probably two would be, I like his ability to accept his role. That's an important factor in how he plays. And that's all totally true about Sadoransky. Do you sense any subtext to that? Well, I mean, I, 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 I could. I mean, uh, in the sense that, you know, you, you, if he says this things about the, about the guy who's starting, you could then think, does he think the opposite about the guy he replaced, right? I mean, yes. and, and, I mean, Kelly Oubre is a super nice guy. He's highly athletic, fun to watch, and at times a maddening, frustrating player to, 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 to watch as well because he just, his, his basketball instincts are just 
never been great, and they haven't gotten much better as he's progressed. I looked this stat up. He he has now gone not one, not two, not three, four consecutive games without an assist. He has, of the 154 players in the league who have at least like 500 minutes, he's 151st in total assists on the year. So when you combine the lack of passing with the spotty work in team defense, uh, I mean, it's tough to take sometimes. Like, people get caught up in the highlights and the points because he can score at times. But the, la- the, ball, the, the when the ball dies with him and the other fat problems, it is it's problematic. Sadarinsky is the literal opposite in almost every way. He's a pass first to the point of almost being too unselfish. He's a pass first, pass second, pass third, pass fourth. <laughs> right, yeah. Shoot himself in the head before shooting. Exactly. Like, he's just ne- – he doesn't – he actively doesn't like to shoot. Yeah, I mean, he definitely looks to pass. And then from a defensive standpoint, he just knows where to be. He's not the flashiest guy. He's not the most athletic guy, though. He's underrated in, the, in that capacity. He can deal with quicker guards. We saw that last year. He was pretty adept. But he limits your mistakes. And we're at a point with the Wizards where they have got to limit mistakes because they are getting destroyed too, with, so many, with so many errors. Now, look, no matter what we say here, it's one game, so we're not going to go too crazy about this. But, yes, I mean, Sadoransky, at a very basic level, it lowers the uh, – it, it raises the floor of what this team can do. But all, And then offensively, I think it makes them better because he gives them – the ball movement's going to be better. Those are things that Ubre is not great at. So, yes, I do think there's a bit of subtext with what Brooks said. But at the same point, you know what, Brooks, this has been going on forever. He he, he It seems like he struggled to find minutes for Sadarinsky the whole time he's been in Washington. <laughs> Even when he almost had to be forced to use him last year when John Wall got hurt. So the fact that recently he's coming around to it is great. But when you maybe to your point, when I didn't bring it up when you threw me the softball, probably because I'm like, Eh, I mean, this is like a little bit too late. He should have been playing a lot more minutes, I think, for a long time now. But okay, we'll we'll, we'll start with tonight. What do you think of him as a three? Because he's a totally different player when he's in there with Wall and Beal than when he is running the second unit. So, so this is the problem because last year he clearly was a. I mean, he, he he's proven to be a very good point guard. But at least that's where his brain works. Brooks kept talking about his versatility, and this was the frustration. He kept wanting to use him in different spots rather than the point guard, and it's definitely not the same guy. He, him playing with John Wall eliminates a good chunk of what he does because John's going to dominate possession and he's going to be sort of hanging out off the ball. Right. Sadoransky is this rare thing. He's this kind of rare creature where he's this unselfish guy who doesn't like to shoot, but he kind of needs the ball to be at his best. And he'll have the ball and he'll make plays with the ball, but he just won't ever really shoot it. So he's going to pass out to assist and hockey assist, or he's going to create different actions that he's going to run your offense, and that's going to kind of be his offensive value because he's not really a catch-and-shoot guy. And he's he's actually a pretty solid cutter. He's a pretty good cutter, and he had a couple of nice backdoor plays in this game where where he took advantage of that. But like, he's not going to be like running off of screens and that kind of stuff. He's an instinctive backdoor cutter, you know, baseline guy, that kind of stuff. And those opportunities don't present themselves on every possession. So like, he's totally different when he's playing the three than he is when he's playing the one in the second unit. You know. Oh, hundred percent! In the first half, he had zero assists in fifteen minutes. I mean, that's—I would bet there's not been too many fifteen-minute stretches of his career with zero assists, unless literally every time he passes the ball, somebody misses because he's setting guys up. But in this case, he's not being that that player. The start of the second half, when the Wizards came out and had that eleven-zero run, and that kind of really kind of pushed the game away. He had like two assists in the first three minutes during that stretch, and. We, we, we got to see more of that. So, yeah, there's 
it's almost like this is another move that's symbolic of this entire team. There's positives to putting him in the lineup for reasons we just discussed. And at the same time, you can't fully maximize him in doing so. I mean, I think I made a Golden State Wizards comparison a few weeks ago, and you'd be out the one that reached across the table and smacked me. I'll make one more, but it, this is a different way. The, the reason why Golden State is as great as they are, it's not just because they have a bunch of guys that are talented. It's because the four guys that are talented, when joined forces, can all maximize their abilities without having to pull back because of the other guys. Whereas, like, say, with the guys who, like Chris Bosh, playing with LeBron, had to pull back, right? The Wizards can't quite figure out a lineup where everybody can do at what their peak of what they can do together to make it work. This is an example of that, but for the moment at least, it maybe is a better way to go because of Sadoransky's you know, uh, passing willingness to sort of... Because uh, one of the other things that Scott Brooks says is, was his, his willingness to accept the role, and I think that to me was maybe the bigger tell of Oubre, where Oubre doesn't he he thinks he's the shooter no matter who else is on the floor and that's problematic so there's reason to start Sadoransky uh you know it's just not a a perfect fit but that the wizard just needs something to work they can't worry about perfect right now yeah I mean that is definitely true and look like the first thing Scott said is true they weren't winning games like who cares shake something up what's the worst that could happen you lose again like they've been losing anyway so I'm I'm fine with a shakeup for the sake of a shakeup. I'm more fine with kind of rewarding good behavior. Sadoransky always plays hard. He plays, you know, quote unquote, the right way, right? Rewarding that sort of behavior and that sort of attitude within a team that obviously doesn't have that consistently from a game to game basis and even from a person to person basis, that's a good thing. You know, sometimes that can have some sort of trickle down effect, even if it's not necessarily to. You know, John Wall and Bradley Beal, but and maybe it's not even necessarily seen that trickle down effect in 2018, but maybe it has effects on guys like Troy Brown or Thomas Bryant, or maybe Troy Brown season is like, man, you know what? If I play my ass off, maybe I'll get time. And maybe that affects the way that, you know, a 19 year old works during his rookie season or something like that. If so that's something the organization is worried about from a cultural perspective. So I'm, I'm totally fine with that move and I'm totally fine with that justification. And I think it's completely intuitive to do shake things up when you're not winning games uh markeith morris speaking of shakeups markeith morris has been like pretty solid off the bench especially lately tonight he had 20 he's been making shots his defense has not been as lackluster he had some seriously lackadaisical defensive plays earlier in the year and you still see those sometimes but i do think it's been a little bit better tonight uh, brooklyn was playing small Keith had this line in the Encore interview after the game. Yeah, I, I, I heard that one, yeah. Yeah, he was asked, and he said they went small, too small. And he said it was he easy. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said it was easy. Uh, and it, it looked easy. He, had, he was 9 of 12 from the field, and he had 15 in the fourth quarter. And the, the Wizards were consistently running this play to, to get him just kind of a ISO post up on the right block, like five straight possessions and he was just so on fire they weren't really good shots to be honest they're like these you know nine to twelve footers sometimes where he's not even facing the basket but he was so on fire that he was making them like in some ways that was kind of the story of this game like not really good shots but so on fire they were making them like right out the gate john wall mid-range 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 made all three of them like if he doesn't make all three of those, who knows how his night goes. But he shot the ball well tonight, got to the rim pretty well too. And, like, the Wizards made some tough shots tonight. 
the Nets looked like they were playing the second night of a back-to-back after playing overtime. As for Keefe, did you think he did anything more than make shots, or was this a make shots so you look good so you get 20 in 29 minutes? Well, I, well on, on a sort of a different note, I was listening to one of Zach Lowe's podcasts the other day. They were talking about who's going to be like six-man of the year award. I mean, Keefe goes to keep this up for another two weeks. Probably really can't ever get there because it's, it's too far behind. But, like, he's playing at such a level, or at least offensively, is that, like, if this were to go on from – if this has been the way he's been playing from the beginning of the year, he actually would be in that conversation with the Derrick Roses and uh, – I don't know. Hard to win six man on a losing team. Uh, you know, semantics, details. You know, <laughs> don't, 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 don't bore me on such detail. There's some good six-man candidates this year. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, Chief's, that. Chief's brother is totally up there. Absolutely. Marcus has been – Awesome this year, uh, Montrezl Harrell. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, he's he, been great. He, he, he's that's who I would probably put out there. Lou Williams won last year and has been better this year. Yep. And like, meanwhile, the Clippers could have the guys who finish one and two in six man of the year. That would be uh, that would be wacky. I wonder if that's ever happened. Cool. Hold on. Can you finish one and two for six man of the year? It wouldn't, by definition, one of them. That's be those true. Seven? That's true. Yeah. That 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 is true. I looked this up today. You know the old. Hey, Doc Rivers says he has ten starters. So can any of them even be eligible? Sure, sure. good point. I, I looked this up today. Only since the, since the award was introduced in like 1982, only two players who've won the award are in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Do, do you care to guess? Kevin McHale. That is correct. And uh... man, who's the other? Bill Walton. Oh, Bill Walton. Well, the Celtics. Yes. Two Celtics. Yeah, a little bit of a cheat, but not really. Um, yeah, but look, I mean, I was definitely, when we, you know, for the last couple of years, you know, there's been some thought of Barkeith doesn't, because the bench had been so bad. It just made sense on some level to move somebody from the starting lineup to the bench in, in some way. I mean, you know, we don't have to talk anymore. We haven't talked anymore for days about the all-bench lineup that Scott Brooks goes with. Because now when Markeith is there, I don't care. <laughs> because now you have a guy who's a proven starter in this league who can, quote-unquote, carry the offense for a stretch. It's different. That's why for, it was like, dude, just leave him in the game or some, Otto or somebody. So now that's happening, so I think that's stabilizing the thing. And he, I was concerned, though, that because of his contract situation, you know, he got screwed by Phoenix all his years back. Now he's entered free agency. Would, how would he take to it? He's been great, and uh, you know Brooks has said that. We see it with his production. That, 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 that's huge, and like you said, let's not go overly crazy. There's still limitations to what he can do when he's out there. You know, you're typically not getting a great rebounder, uh, not much of a rim protector. Let's not he had seven boards and two blocks. Defensively, you mentioned there's some lapses, and just his whole career has been a bit up and down. And paired with Jeff Green, who didn't play tonight with back tightness, that's two guys whose whole career is almost defined by being up and down. So it's not ideal. Again, some somewhat of the Sanaransky thing. It's what they have to work with, but it's not necessarily perfect. But Markeith is giving them uh, production off the bench. He's still playing. He was the closer tonight. He's playing late in the game. And ultimately, we talk so it, – it's so stupid. We all talk about stuff who starts when we all know it's about who finishes. And they, we're seeing that play out right here. He's the guy in there at the end of the game. Thomas Bryant starting. He's the guy finishing. Um, so, you know, tonight was a good night. And, uh, you know, but like you said, last night he wasn't very good. I mean, Brooke said that as well. And uh, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it can't just be have a good night here and there. You, he's, he is going to have to do this consistently because they just – without Dwight Howard, they don't have that much inside. So last night in Philly, 
I went up to Keith after the game. I had a feeling he was going to play well tonight because I went up to him after the game. He had like 35 family members. He's from Philly. He had 35 family members, something like that, at the game yesterday. Uh, and I asked him if we could do a quick quick interview. And, and he said, no, he had to run out run out for family. And he was like throwing on his sweater. I was like, oh, that's right. Go be with, go see your family. And I was putting on a sweater. He said, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have talked to you tonight anyway after I played like shit like that. So I had a feeling that, that he was going to play well tonight because he was not good in that Philly game. But wait, he didn't talk tonight. He bolted before. Uh, I think he was on baby duty. Oh, I was going to say, well, baby duty is acceptable. I was wondering if he was on uh, Wilder Fury duty or what, what is that the fight tonight? The uh, Oh, yeah. Tyson Fury, is there a better name than that? That's a good name. That is a good name. That's like a cartoon name. <laughs> um, well, but, yeah, yeah. so he, I had a feeling. He he did not play well in that Philly game. He got manhandled. They, they all got manhandled by Embiid. And you just had a feeling he was going to come out against a Nets team that did not have Joel Embiid <clears throat> and, uh, and, and have a little bit of a better performance. And he, he played really well. Wall got to the rim nicely tonight. He, like, actually kind of looked like he attacked. He was pulling up a little bit early, but he kind of looked like he was, especially during this little stretch in, in this, I think it was the second quarter and then into the third, like he, he looked like he was attacking more and getting to the rim. He's just so much better when he does that. I, I don't know if he's able to do that all the time now or if he chooses not to do that all the time or, or what it is, but when he is getting to the rim and actually finishing there, and man, he's just—he's so much better there. Oh, I mean, it's you know, as you were noting, Brooklyn is very good at forcing teams to take the mid-range shot. They're, they're the best in the league at uh, in limiting three-point attempts, and they're obviously getting to the rim is a challenge. Jared Allen is uh, not Embiid or Anthony Davis, but interesting young. He's a good player. rim protector. Yeah, he, he, he yeah, he, legitimately good. Brooks said that he thought Jared Allen in the previous game when Brooklyn won here was the difference because of his interior play. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, well, but well, I mean, yeah, but Wall, I mean, they, he, he, they need him to, um, they need him to go. He just doesn't want, I mean, I, I don't know if it's the injuries or the, sometimes it's this lack of enthusiasm. He needs to go. And yes, we did see that tonight. By the way, he got, he got five free throws tonight. Wow. Two and a half times his total from last game. Yeah. I looked it up the other day. He you know, He's like 15th or 16th in the league in free throws per game. He's averaging more free throws attempts this year than ever any career, year in his career about one. So he's not really getting screwed, even though it feels that way because he's constantly flailing about and talking every, about it. Every player thinks they're getting screwed. Sure. Every player. I don't care who leads the league in free throw attempts for, for Le- that LeBron year. LeBron thinks he's getting screwed, and, LeBron, and every other human watching LeBron thinks he gets every call. So. Exactly. Every single player thinks they are getting screwed out of free throws. A guy could be averaging 18 free throws a game, and he would be saying, I don't understand why I'm not getting 20. The player who got screwed more than anyone was Shaq. Sure. When Shaq complains about getting screwed, I, I actually don't mind that because Shaq really did. Because he must have been the most difficult guy to officiate in like NBA history because he would just maybe Wilt was or something. Because he would just, 
he's so much bigger than everybody that you could just destroy him and it would be like, you know, a mosquito flying into his arm or something well, like didn't that. Well, didn't Wall drop a comparison last night to Shaq in terms of the lack of fouls? Because he said... Well, he said that, like, he's... He, that they tell him that he's so strong that... Yeah. That, or that... Or that I think the what he meant was the implication is that you're not reacting and he doesn't want to flop, he says. So... He's too strong, so he doesn't get the calls. But it's like, and I get what he means by that. I didn't. Did he reference Shaq? I didn't hear. That. Maybe that was the quote in my brain that he said. I, yeah. thought, I thought there was. <laughs> I thought there was some. I thought maybe he mentioned it, but but, but I could be wrong because obviously that would be a borderline and insane comparison. He's not that much bigger than yeah. the, the guys <laughs> he's going up against. Um, and he is a big point guard. Like, yeah, he's a big. Of course, he's a big point guard, but like. He's a point guard. I mean, Russ is a big point guard. He gets to the line. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. The we, we were talking about this after the game. You know, for all the all the th- I, we talked about this last time I was on the podcast. For all the angles we can come up with as to why this team has been bad, why they how they can get better, yada yada yada. I will just simply say, in the games of John Wall. Plays hard, attacks the rim, defends. They were much better defensively tonight. Though when he does those things, they win or are at least highly competitive. And in the games in which all those other things are all those things are suspect, I mean, I I don't even know if I need more of a barometer than that. I wish we had a, a measure. Uh, a, a, I don't know a WER a wall. Uh, what does PER perform? What does PR stand for? The player efficiency rating. Yes, yeah, a wall efficiency rating. That that's what we need. Like if a we, were yeah, war. Yeah, if we can establish that, somebody work on that. That Walls would, above replacement. Yeah, there you go. So, because that's uh, you know that, that's how this team goes, and uh, you know I think we saw some of that tonight. Like you said, he was making shots early, kept attacking throughout, and like I said at the very top, they were cons- relatively consistent throughout. I don't. I think there's a compa- there's a clear connection between those two things. Yeah. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. I mean, the story I was. I've been trying to write about Thomas Bryant for the last couple of days, and I kind of kept screwing around because John Wall complained about the refs in Philly and things like that. But um, it wasn't really – I didn't really write about Bryant. But, like, the last two games he went up against Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid, and needless to say, it didn't go fantastic. And it's not uh, him. Nobody's expecting any much out of him right now other than try, be energetic, run the court. And today he went up against a true contemporary in Jared Allen, who – a first-round pick, a guy who played well. And, you know, again – Bryant wasn't spectacular, but he by and large neutralized Jared Allen. I mean, they, they basically had the same amount of rebounds. Allen wasn't a huge factor. Again, Brooklyn's coming off of the, uh, a back-to-back. It, 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 if Thomas Bryant can at least hold his own against these centers that are not going to the Hall of Fame, <laughs> then then I think the Wizards have a chance to be interested because he is a much more representative center of what the, today is about than Jan Mahimi or Jason Smith, who were not playing. And if he can continue to improve, he make you know, make a make a shot here and there. The Wizards, I think, have a better chance to can be consistent to be to look like a modern team. And tonight, you know, again, it's not they're not going crazy, but I thought today was one of those games where you know he showed he could hold his own against somebody who was comparable level player to some degree. I and mean, Allen's better, but you know, it's not a stretch to say they're similar. And I think that is big because if he if they can get anything out of him, they're screwed because Jan Mahimi and Jason Smith I, I don't know how you play them right now in 2018 and uh, they, they, they without Dwight Howard for the next X weeks they need Thomas Bryant to at least play 20 minutes a game 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he got 19 tonight. He was fine. He was fine. His his he fights hard in the interior. He's not a great rebounder. I don't think he's great with uh, like ball anticipation. Like there are some rebounders who are great rebounders because they can just instinctively tell when the ball leaves a guy's hands. Okay, this is going off the back end of the rim, or this is going off the front end. This is going right. This is going left, and they can just tell immediately. And they position themselves, and they just position themselves quicker than other people do. Like um, like Zach Randolph is amazing at that. Actually, Russell Westbrook is amazing at that. That's one of the reasons why Russell Westbrook is is good. For, you know, Russell Westbrook's the best rebounding point guard of all time. That's one of the reasons why he's so good at that sort of anticipation. I don't think, and maybe I don't know if that's a thing that you can learn or not. I honestly have no idea. I would uh, I, I would ask like a coach or something, but I, I I honestly don't know. But I don't think Thomas Bryant is great at that now. Um, well, and that's fair. I mean, look, but he was good enough. He was good enough tonight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, they thrust him into a situation where nobody was thinking he would be in when the season started. And again, we're at this point, it's just holding on. I mean, they're what, what you know, can I mean, again, for me, the goal is not just making the playoffs, it's can they get into be some, some level of a contender? They need to, they need to get build up some momentum. And the only way they're going to do that is to win a few games and be consistently good. That's it. He gives them a chance. At least it, it, he may give them a chance, I should say, because you know they, he's the only big man they have with size who can actually play modern basketball. Yeah, that's it. Play your stuff before we go. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. The rest of it, I don't really care. Just just follow me on Twitter, and then you'll see everything else. And uh, you know, tell me what you think about the Wizards. Uh, tell me what you think about a good a good place. You watch that. The Good Place? Yeah. I love The Good Place. I, I binge-watched it like two weeks ago because somebody kept telling me they remi- I reminded them of a cheaty, and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, now that I've watched it, I'm like, wait a minute. I, like, I, don't, know if I, I don't know if I like that. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, yeah, we talk about that and the Wizards and whatever else you got. Yeah. So you're going to the bad place? Uh, dude, I've been in the bad place for for, for, for a while now. So, you know, I... Uh, I, 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 since you watched the show, have you started to... Think about things along the lines of, well, if I do good things, I'll get more points, or if you just continue to live your life. Uh, no, I know. I know that I'm going to the bad place no matter what I do at this point. So, yeah, I'm a lost cause. Yeah, well, um, and I also keep pointing out Kelly Oubre's falls. I clear falls clearly. Yeah. The higher powers believe in Kelly Oubre, so I'm screwed there. Anyway. Yeah, you're done. You're finished. Uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Give us five-star rating. Leave a nice review. Those are always awesome. You can follow me on Twitter. At Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Wizards play in New York on Monday. I'll be podcasting after that. I'm not going to the rest of this upcoming road trip. This month is crazy. It is. There's just so many road games, like I've said before. And I'll go to every single road game. I'm going to about 30 of the 40 or so is the plan right now. Uh, I will be in New York, and I'll be podcasting after that. After that, they go to Atlanta and then Cleveland. I won't be in there. I won't be at either of those. And then I'm meeting the team in Indianapolis to close their road trip. I will, however, be podcasting after every single one of those episodes. And I've already pressured Ben into coming on one of those for a Skype pod after, uh, what are we doing? After the Atlanta game. So Kevin Herter. The, the Alex Lynn Thomas Bryant matchup we all wanted to see. Now that is going to be a crit. That that's a Thomas Bryant matchup where we're like, all right, Thomas Bryant should win that matchup. That, that, that game would probably be twenty five minutes of me saying, wait, why didn't the Wizards just sign Alex Lynn instead of Dwight Howard? But yeah. <laughs> all right, well, I'll be back on Monday after the Knicks game from New York. I'll talk to you guys then. <laughs> <laughs>